If you go down in the woods today, you're sure of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you better go in disguise. Good morning. I'm Anna Healy Fenton, and welcome to Peaks and Troughs. Last week, we looked at the temptations facing teenagers in Hong Kong with easy access to alcohol and drugs. And of course, these kids have parents. So this week, we take a look at what these parents are doing about it. Are they outsourcing parenting to their helpers in their schools, or are they working too hard, or are they having too much fun? Lolita Schmolenberg is a counselor at the Canadian International School, and she sees the issues on a daily basis. They have opportunities, chances to do so many things, and it's funny to think that these kids have some problems, some issues when it comes to parenting. But what I've noticed over my last five years in Hong Kong. Is that with that privilege, some of our parents are forgetting that the obligation is actually theirs to be the parent. And what I mean is that we've got the helpers, we've got the school, we've got the tutors, and every other opportunity in place. But our parents are forgetting that at the end of the day, it is their responsibility to set up the boundaries and limits, and share their values with their children. So how should they do this? Okay, it's not a today thing. It's something that starts over time. You know. It is our job as parents to be responsible for a few things. We need to be responsible for our children's safety, and we need to be responsible to teach our values. As a parent, we need to set up some boundary or limits within our understanding of what we feel is safe for our children and what we want to instill in them. Uh, so, how do we do it? In a short answer, you have a conversation with your spouse. You and your partner need to sit down and decide. What kind of children do we want to raise, and that will inevitably lead to further consultation about how you're going to set up those boundaries. And at what age should you start talking about those tricky subjects like alcohol and drugs? I wouldn't say you need to pick a number to say, okay, she's five. <laughs> Let's talk about beer. What I would say is, over time, when there's a situation or a, a natural opportunity to talk about it, you talk about it. As a parent, and I'm a, I'm the mother of four, so so I feel like I've got some experience. I can't say I'm an expert, but I've got some experience. As a parent, we pick those teachable moments. If you're having a casual drink on the balcony, talk about that with your little one. Say, you know, mommy's having this. This is something grown-ups do. Start sharing your values. Start sharing how you feel. Alcohol should be consumed responsibly in small sound bites for your children, according to their developmental age. Okay. Now I've come across children getting as much as five hundred dollars a week pocket money.、Mm. What kind of amount of pocket money do you think is realistic, and should they do chores in order to earn it? Okay, another great question.、Um, let me go to the the second one because that one's easier. Should a child do chores for pocket money? In my in my humble opinion, no. You know, as a member of a family, we have certain expectations, certain rules. We all get to help out. Some might cook, some might clean, maybe making the bed or, or helping with the laundry. This is a normal expectation for a family. We don't get paid for that, because when we pay a child to do something like that, we are implying that you have a choice, honey. And if you don't want to do it, or if you decide you don't need that money, then you don't need to be a contributing member to our family. But they've all got maids here and helpers,、yeah. so they're not going to be doing those household chores in a you know in the normal run of things. Agreed. But we do need to give our children some choice. 
We do. Now, if we're talking above and beyond the normal household expectation, I'm not talking about picking up the clothes off your floor or uh, being responsible to clear the table. If we're talking above and beyond, mowing the lawn, looking after your baby brother, for those chores, we can pay our children. But sh for the most part, giving pocket money to your children is a great idea, but let's not link it to the normal family expectation. Okay, so how much is a realistic amount? You know what? Again, it goes back to how old your child is. And what are they doing with that money? I'm guessing your children are like my children, where I tend to pay for almost everything. I supply the lunch. I supply the octopus card for transportation. So $500 for most of our children under the age of 13 is a little on the generous side, in my opinion. If they've got an octopus card with a couple hundred on it, and you are covering all their needs as far as food is concerned, then you just need to give them enough money for some enjoyment. It might be $90 to go see a movie. It might be $15 to run to 7-Eleven and buy a mega. Does your child need enough money to go to Starbucks every day? I'm going to say no, because that, again, is building in a sense of privilege and entitlement that children just don't need. We don't need that Frappuccino every day. Right. And in terms of letting them out at night, parents should be aware of where they're going, right? And what they're doing. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Can I talk some more? Yes. You know what? Again, developmentally appropriate. When my 18-year-old walked out the door, we had built a relationship where I trusted him. I knew the general area. I did not know exactly location, location, location. If he was going to his friend's house... I knew, okay, was there going to be a parent there? That kind of stuff is important. Check in with your kids. But it doesn't start when they're 15. You need to check in with your kids when they're 9. When your daughter asks for a play date, you should be asking questions. Whose house? Who will be there? I'm going to take you. I'm going to actually physically walk in the door to make sure the people who said they're going to be there are going to be there. I'm paying attention. That was Lolita from the Canadian International School. Susan Smith is the primary principal of the Victoria Shanghai Academy and she has some fairly strong words to say on the subject of responsible parenting and the issue of not expecting the school to do the job for you. I think the whole idea really is that what we want our children to do and be is um, to be responsible adults and to do that you start from the very first moment you have a child and I think that um, Parents need to model responsible behaviour. Parents need to um, ensure that the adults around the child um, have the same values. And I think um, mums and dads really do need to decide what are the values in that family and be very clear to all the other adults concerned with bringing that child up, particularly in Hong Kong, where people live such busy lives and seldom see the children, that... Um, there's, there's a commonality within the home about standards and, and expectations of behaviour. So that's going to start with a one-year-old. And I think that pet children need to feel secure um, and then they're not going to stray badly into alcohol and drugs when they get older. What are the specific... In influences or, or bad influences that kids have here to contend with that they wouldn't have maybe somewhere else? Well, Hong Kong is an amazing city, but it's also a challenging city in which to raise a family. Um, 
obviously there's the, the maid culture. Most families have maids. And um, if a child is just left alone with a maid um, that hasn't been well trained and, and well taught and supported in how the family wants that child to be brought up, then the maid goes it alone. Um, so that's a big challenge. Another challenge is overprotection. So you've got some families where mum gives up a fabulous job in order to be a stay-at-home mum, which is absolutely fabulous thing to do, um, but then really puts that whole energy and that intelligence and that vitality that she was putting into a job into the child. And sometimes that can be a little bit suffocating, so which means the children ultimately will start to rebel. So you, you're looking at children um, up to the age of seven and eight, really their world is their home. Parents, helper, grandparents, they're the people that have the most influence. So that's a key time to instill the values. I think I keep coming back to the notion of values mm. because any kind of abuse means that people have gone off that track. And if they've never had values to start with, um, they're going to just follow everyone else's lead. Now, once children get to the age of seven and eight, their peers have amazing influence. Right. And so that's when you start to see maybe the swearing starts. They hear another child say a swear word and the child will come home, use the swear word. Um, they might see it um, appear, which, and generally these children come from homes where they're not getting attention, there are no clear guidelines, and the children then will be using the bad language or they won't follow the bus rules, let's say on the school bus. Um, those are common issues for every school um, in Hong Kong, mm. I would suggest. Um, so that's when children will copy their friends or copy what another one in the class is doing. The children who've got a good, strong home base know they're doing the wrong thing, but it's normal for a child to just push against the boundaries. Mm. Those children with boundaries will just bounce a little bit against the boundary. The children that have never had boundaries just go way too far. And so the school, I think the school's role then is to um, be aware, a good school will really know their children and they will have a very close relationship with the parents. Right. And certainly, if you're transparent as a school and you immediately get on the phone to a parent if there's any kind of issue, then, and you, you don't phone a parent and say, I'm phoning you because you're a terrible parent, your child has just done this. You phone and say, look, your child's done this, we think we've got a problem, let's work together to fix it for your child. Um, whenever we do that, and whenever parents are supportive, we always find good solutions. And I think that's the way to be. So it's, parents must decide their values. They must decide their standards of behavior because it's their child. The school will then know its own values. So parents need to choose a school that matches the values that they want. And that way, the parents and the school can work together for the child's benefit. And it's been my observation that a lot of parents would expect the school to be uh, perhaps in a, almost a parental role, role some of the time. Where does the responsibility of a school begin and end? Well, <laughs> that's a good statement. And I think I have known cases 
in England, in America, and here in Hong Kong, where it's almost expected that the teacher brings the child up. Yes. You know, we're expected to be the parents. Clearly, we are not the parents. The school cannot, never can be the parent. But they can work very closely with the parents. And we do find that some parents appreciate the guidance that the school can offer. Um, for example, we have a student guidance officer um, who will offer parenting advice. Our Parent Teacher Association um, often brings speakers in to talk about um, parenting issues. And these workshops are well attended. So this kind of thing a school can provide. Um, we can provide structure for the children, um, excellent communication with the parents. Actually, we ourselves run a lot of workshops as a school for parents. But you're not mum and dad. We're not mum and dad. We can be caring teachers, absolutely caring teachers, concerned teachers, but no, we're not mum and dad. At the end of the day, mum and dad have chosen to have a child. It's their responsibility and it can be a great pleasure, but obviously it's a massive um, responsibility and they have to be accountable. That was school principal Sue Smith explaining the importance of accountability. Kelly Liu is a single mom of two kids. One is a 15-year-old, Nicole, and her younger brother, Nicholas, aged 10. Kelly believes that it's all about talking to your kids and leaving the channels of communication open. I think it's um, uh, probably a, a lot to do with how we communicate and how we uh, build our relationship between me and my daughter and me and my son and we, the three of us as a family. Um, we have um, this habit of um, having um, our dinner together um, most of the days and the weekdays and uh, we do go out um, in the weekends uh, to eat and uh, we enjoy, I think the three of us, we enjoy our meal time together and uh, we do a lot of conversation and we communicate and converse on anything, anything that they are interested to know, want to know or I want to share with them, and it is particularly for, uh, important for them that I find I use the opportunity to share as well. I think both of them use the same opportunity to share about their thoughts and their feelings or what happened to their school or to their social life. It's, it's, Mealtime is the best time to share, and we share openly. Uh, we talk from, um, about uh, what's happening to Hong Kong in terms of the political situation, uh, May not, we may not go in-depth, uh, but you know, superficially they get to know what is going on uh, in Hong Kong, what is going on in the world, um, what is going on uh, with their school life. They share, they talk, and we talk. And uh, we talk about even about um, puberty. We talk about uh, private parts, and we have names for those uh, private parts that we can continue talking outside <laughs> the home atmosphere so that we, uh, I encourage um, my kids, my children to talk about uh, life in general openly and uh, exposing them to a lot of conversation openly so that they can conduct and uh, converse um, a healthy conversation effectively, um, conducively, um, and not having uh, hesitation to talk about anything that uh, they wish to express. So this open communication is the secret as far as you're concerned? Um, I wouldn't say it's a secret. I think it's, um, it's a key, it's, it's a very key to, um, to bring uh, the relationship close. Uh, it allows uh, you to create an opportunity uh, for your children and for yourself um, to reach out and communicate anything. And uh, the communication could be I facilitating or my, one of my children facilitating, whoever has more, uh, better knowledge and becomes a facilitator. So, but then we don't interrupt each other. We have this rule in communication that if we 
would like to interfere or not have something to com contribute to the com communication, we say, can I speak? So that um, this doesn't become an argument. And because if you have something important and nice to talk about, and if everybody fights to talk, uh, which is obviously a good thing because everybody wants to co contribute to the mm, conversation, mm, but mm. it can become a fight within the family because everybody wants to talk at the same time. That was Kelly Liu explaining her parenting strategy. Kelly's daughter, Nicole, is 15, and she has a slightly different take on things, believing firmly that if you teach children to think for themselves, they can resist peer pressure. But she thinks every kid is an individual. I agree to some approach, like to some, to some things, but I think a lot of the time, parents, par parents, um, parents think that the way that they manage their kids is like the only impact on how their kids are going to deal with these kind of things. And I don't. I think it matters a lot more on the kid themselves because personally I know quite a few people who do go out with other people and they, they go out with them but they choose not to drink and they don't do that kind of stuff because that's just the kind of person they are. Like, their parents would let them go and their parents are fine with it but that's just not the person they are. And I think that it comes probably from maybe when they were younger their parents taught them like things that they wanted their kids to, to have when they were older, but instead of using like, oh, don't do this and don't do that, they were more like, oh, maybe you should do this. Or When you teach your kids to think for themselves, it makes them more independent. And in those situations, it's a lot, easy, it's a lot harder to be peer pressured. And no matter what the parent does, even if you are the world's strictest parent, if your kid wants to go out and drink, your kid is going to go out and drink. Like, I'm sorry, There's, it's very hard not to con it's very hard to control your child and even if you are the world's like most like you let them do anything like you're that kind of parent if your kid doesn't want to drink they're not going to drink if they want to drink they're going to drink like it depends on the kid and I think that's um, I think that's pretty important to understand so from your perspective is it peer pressure or what is the thing that controls whether or not you would say go drinking on a night out? I think part of it is peer pressure, and part of it, I think a lot of people in Hong Kong are saying, oh, don't drink, don't do this, don't do that. But of course, as a teenager, when someone tells you not to do something, there's that kind of thing inside you that tells you, I'm going to go do it, you know, like, you told me not to, so now I'm going to go do it. And that that comes, of course, from like an irrational, like, you're not really thinking at that point. So... I think that part of it is um, the peer pressure and part of it is just like kind of the rebellions kind of thing. That was Nicole Lim explaining why we shouldn't ever discount the rebellious streak, even in the best behaved teenager. Nicole's little brother is Nicholas, age 10. So I asked him, what is the worst thing a parent can do to a teenage child? The worst thing would be to be oblivious to the child because um, being oblivious would just make the child angry and feel unhappy and unwanted and unloved. So they would maybe just try to like put a sh up a show, like get, get in trouble on purpose or like just doing that so you can just get the attention that you want from your parents. But then the attention wouldn't be the good kind of attention because you're basically getting more 
infliction. And then the parent, I guess, would think, okay, so the child just wants to get in trouble, and like if he if she, he or she like does something really bad, I don't want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. So like, so they would grow more distant. And then like you see in those like TV shows like. Like the son or the daughter gets really separated from the family, they always have like conflicts. Well, it, it might happen like that. So, the worst thing is don't. The worst thing is being oblivious to your child. So, what should parents do? They should listen. They should listen. Um, like have empathy more, more empathy than sympathy. Sympathy, you're just um saying it. You're not really doing it. But empathy, you're actually doing it and making the person feel like much better than sympathy could do. So, so you want your parents to to listen to you, and so you feel understood. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, my my mom, she she does, she's great at doing that. And then, but then you know, like everyone has their faults. That was Nicholas Lim, who's ten, and previously I was talking to his sister Nicole, who's fifteen. You may think that challenges to parenting and temptations for teenagers in the form of easily available alcohol and drugs are limited to kids going to international schools. I'm interested to find out what goes on in the local schools, so I went to talk to Paul Kong, clinical psychologist at the United Christian Hospital in Kwantung. He receives referrals from social workers who cover the housing estates and schools in the Kwantung area. So the workers would try to engage them first and try to uh, see if they can follow up them. And what and kind some, of drugs would you be seeing? And actually, uh, quite more, most often they would use uh, ketamine or meth, uh, what they call is ice. Crystal meth. Yes, exactly. And, and also the cocaine, the crack cocaine. And of course, also some others, but those are most common in Hong Kong. Mm, yeah, mm, yeah, I see. And if you're a parent, how can you uh, find out if your kid is using drugs? You will find them uh, being less able to keep up their the life routine. Okay. For example, they will maybe uh, uh, come home late, or can't attend school, attend school, or stay in their bedroom. I'm I'm not talking about. Uh, if they stay in the bedroom for a very long time, they must have uh, the drug problems. Yeah, not necessarily. Not necessarily, but but those are the signs when you see them uh, 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 being not able to carry out uh, a normal life function. Mm. For example, going back to school, have a normal family life. Yeah, but but it it also depends on the parents. If you can have. Uh, more time in your daily life to stay with them, you can more ease. You can ease uh, more easily to to uh, note the signs. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I see. So when you do discover that your kid has a problem with alcohol or drugs, what should you do? Yes, I I, I think it's a very good question because uh, being a parent, when you are worrying that your children may have alcohol or drug problems, it's always not easy for you to remain calm enough. You know, because um, uh, you are worrying about them, but I would I would advise the, the parents to just try to uh, put themselves into their children's shoes. So you, you will only discuss with your parents when uh, uh, when uh, when you feel that you can be listened with patience and acceptance, and also you would hope that they would uh, collaborate with you within such atmosphere. To face the problem together, so I think this is the first important thing to to think about. 
So, uh, so the, the the most important is 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 the key. The key is in the relationship. Mm, mm. So I think you you can't imagine parents and their children can suddenly talk about these important topics while they actually have nothing to talk about in their daily life. So maybe being able to chit chat like friends is already a good place to start. And and other thing is and and the quality times you and your children can spend together. What about maybe go out for a walk or watch a movie together? Do something that interests both of you together. Together, because um, when you can spend more time together, you can share some fun first, and that gives you more time and chances to share the thoughts and the feelings. And then, in this way, you would understand each other much better. So I guess I guess this is already very good enough. In themselves for improving the relationship, but they are also the building blocks for a platform to discuss about some topics which are use, which are usually a lot easy to touch on. Right. So right. I think the relationship is important. So maybe I would advise or or encourage the parent to think beyond the problems for the solutions. So if you do find that your child has a problem with drink or drugs, what should you do? Should you bring them to the doctor, or where should you go for help? I guess the first thing. If you have a better relationship with them, you can find some good timing to discuss with them first before doing anything, because uh, an open communication or talking about things is uh, better help both of you and your children to plan together what to do next. So maybe uh, uh, another good thing to think about is the the timing. So maybe very often the parents would feel the urges to get them. Down to talk when they see the problems, like maybe they return home late or look drunk or intoxicated in front of you. But however, these are always not very good timing because good ta- good moments to seriously no. talk, you yeah, know, because they are always they are already in not in a good state, both mentally or emotionally. So maybe I would I would advise or encourage maybe wait until he or she becomes sharper sharper again. And at the same time, you probably would be more, would be calmer too. Better atmosphere. Better atmosphere, and or even sometimes they may tell you their worries that may be related to the alcohol or drug use. Not exactly they would, they would talk about you directly, directly about the, the drug problems or alcohol problems. But may, they may tell you the worries behind. So those are the better timings to start off the topic. That was Paul Kong, who runs a substance abuse clinic in Kwantong. If you'd like some professional help or advice on drugs, you can ring the government's anti-drug hotline. The number is one eight six one eight six, where you can speak to a social worker. That's for children and parents. That brings us to the end of another episode of Peaks and Troughs. I hope that was interesting and helpful, because this is a very sensitive topic. Next week, we'll be talking about the East Lantau Metropolis and other islands in the stream. Have a great week. Join me then. Bye bye. For every bear that ever there was, we'll gather there for certain because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. <laughs>